Welcome to Orthopod, a podcast about the people of orthopedics and their stories. We understand that we all play many roles in our careers and lives, and it is these very stories that ultimately inform our successes and failures. Hi everyone, this is uh, Mo Bendari from Orthopod, and we have another excellent guest today, Sheila Sprague. I've known Sheila for decades, so we'll have lots to talk about. But let me start you off with a bio. Uh, Sheila is a clinical researcher with expertise in the design and conduct of large randomized trials, observational studies, systematic reviews, and scoping reviews. She obtained a doctorate degree in medical science from the University of Amsterdam and a Master of Science degree in health research methodology from McMaster University. She became a member in the Department of Surgery in 2014, a faculty member, and serves as an associate faculty member in the Department of Health Research Methods, Evidence and Impact, and she's been doing that for about two years now. Uh, in addition to her faculty appointment, she's been long-standing uh, member uh, and associate uh, director of the Center of Evidence-Based Orthopedics at McMaster University, and that's just a few of the things. She's got tons of pub. How many publications do you have now, Sheila? I think I'm at about 175. 100, well, 175 papers. So well, welcome, Sheila. Yeah, thank um, you. And let me go back to, if we can, mm-hmm. uh, when we first met. Now, I recall we first met, now I'm going back, about 1996? It was 1999. 1999. Okay. So 1996 would have put me into my second year of orthopedic residency. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably when I decided that I was going to try to get some time away and uh, interact. Now, I had met Gordon Guyatt probably in 1997 or in that ballpark. Mm -hmm. And um, thereafter, we had started this journey, um, which is the acronyms called the SPRINT trial, but it was the study to evaluate tibial tibial fractures that are outcomes associated with tibial shaft fractures. Mm-hmm. So when do you, what do you recall in terms of our first meeting? And then let's go from there. Okay. So I finished my undergrad degree at Waterloo, University of Waterloo, in 1999. Right. So in May of 1999. You started. I started at McMaster as a research assistant in the Department of Surgery. Okay. At the Surgical Outcomes Research Center. Okay. With um, Sonia DePau. Yes, as I my Sonia. As my yes. manager and, yes, yes. and mentor yes. at the time. Okay. And then my job there was, my time was divided among, uh, among several different surgeons. And you had a little bit of funding, I think like $10,000 or something, and you were able to pay for my time to help starting out. Do you remember our first project? I think I remember our first project. I have two, and I I can't recall which is quite first. It's either the chart review of tibial shaft fractures that that Brad Brad and I went through thousands. I don't remember thousands. (laughs) It felt like thousands. I think even before that. I think this one before. And there was a survey. The survey. Survey. And we did one on the quality of randomized trials together, I think, too. And you did a lot of work on blinding and some things Mm -hmm. like that, right? So we did a lot of reviews back then. But let me take even a step back. Yeah. The thing that we, you know, I mean, you are, you've been a front line in every possible way when we think about um, research, but you've said it to me multiple times, right? That we don't promote research coordination as a functional career path. Mm-hmm. So how did you even come into research from your training in Waterloo? Because there isn't a, well, a, a major degree program that would have been back then mm-hmm. around research. No. So how do you know? How does someone get no, into like, research like, in the coordination in the early stages? I think everyone's path is is different. Yeah. And like my path, I finished my undergrad degree and I wanted to join the workforce. I yep. I knew I'd want to do a master's down the road, but I I wasn't really sure which master's to do. I wanted to take a break from from school, yep. so I started to apply to different different positions. Right and. This one was, I think, the second or third job that I applied to. Yep. 
And my course at Waterloo had a lot of research courses. They had like a stats course, a research methodology course, like a thesis type independent research study course, a program evaluation course. So it provided a bit of foundation, like a bit of foundation for for at least getting getting started in research. But I I will admit that I didn't know that this job existed until I was interviewing for it. I had no idea what I'd be I'd be doing. I'd never been in an office before or. Right. Like I didn't have a summer, I know not now a lot of people, or maybe back then too, people um, did internships in the summer and, and stuff, but I had never worked then, in the field or, or anything. But I think Sonia and, and uh, Vade, Vade Tandon and right, Bob Hansen right. about... There's so many people took that were... A, yeah, they took me, me on, even though I was coming out of, like straight out of school. And I think Sonia was quite at the interview. I remember her vividly being very excited to hear about this program. And that there is being that there is a program that was offering some some research oh, that's great. oriented oriented courses. So when you look back now, and it's always hard because mm-hmm. you have a different viewpoint, having been through it all, right? Mm-hmm. And, and now you've yeah, I'm kind of unique, and right, I, circle, I did my yeah. doctorate older, and yeah. so I did it ten years into work versus going straight through the steps of school. Right. What was some of the advice that you received back then? And I'm going to ask you two things. Okay. All right. <laughs> What was some of the best advice you received that you thought, you know what, back then it was true and it's still true now? And what was some of the worst advice that people will say, right? Because people always have, people give you advice, all kinds of things about your life and career. Mm-hmm. And I think it's instructive to think about both sides of the story because I've been given some not so great yeah. advice and I'm happy in some ways I didn't take it, but I took a lot of bad advice and I went in those pathways. You know, you slam shut and think, ah, oh, but you learn from that. So mm-hmm. what were some of the things you look back at that time when you, because you, you were making some big decisions too, right? You were... You're mm-hmm. early in your career yeah. thinking, is this where I want to do? I think yeah. a lot of people have that. A lot of coordinators start off thinking, where's the future in this? And what do I do? And how do I mm-hmm. advance myself? You've gotten all that. So yeah. how do you look back at I think all that? one of the turning points was like a year into my a year into my job at, at, in Department of Surgery right. as a research assistant. I was um, kind of at the stage of you had full-time funding for me. Yeah, you a, and Gordon, yes, Gordon right, Guyatt, right. had full-time funding for me. And it was a, a really hard decision to... To do I switch over to run this big multi center trial with one year of work experience? And right, 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 right. Yeah, yes. it was a big scenario, wasn't it? I mean, that's that, that's, yeah. that's the and point, I think right? the advice, like I, my yeah. mother, and I talked to my mother a lot, and yeah. I remember her saying, like, you know, you and Mo seem to work so well together, yeah. Yeah. so maybe you should just stick with, like, you could probably have a great career. Right. Working with Teams him, collaborating with yes. him, and yes. I think she could just see our, our good working connection yes. and. And I think that was some That's interesting. Like, good I, advice it is, in it. Because it is scary, right? I mean, so two things you bring up, and not everyone was going to be aware, but Sprint is a big, was back then, mm-hmm. and back in 1998, is probably 1998, 2000, when we got real funding for it, mm-hmm. um, was you know a fairly large undertaking. Like At that time, like I'd never done anything that big. Um, Gordon Guyatt, who I'm sure will be on one of our, our guests <laughs> at some great. point, we'll sit with him Wonderful. and talk to, talk to him about stuff. Mm-hmm. But he was also taking on something big for the first time. He's done other big trials, but not in surgery. So that was a big deal. So we're all kind of learning together. And mm-hmm. the biggest thing is there isn't a guarantee uh, beyond funding beyond that. And research, yeah. the biggest challenge, I think, as you articulate for coordination, is you are making, you are trusting in the ideas and the team to go forward. And mm-hmm. so there's an element of Bit of risk taking, I would think, mm-hmm. right? Like that's kind of how you how you probably are envision it. But when you got in, mm-hmm. were there ever times where you thought this was the wrong? 
So, well, okay, like, I had one year work experience. I yes. remember my first year, I saved all the files with no year date on them. Yes, so right. So there were little like hiccups like that. I yep. sent out probably a few pretty yeah, non-professional happen. emails because yes. I yeah, cause my writing. Know. I remember Gordon correcting my yes. explaining active and passive oh, writing yes, to me. And and, tense, right? yes, yes, yes. So there was a lot of moments where I was like, oh, it's so in over my over my head. But then there were other days where it was it was so great, and most days were so great and rewarding. Right. And then I did HRM. And I okay. found HRM was a turning point. So when did you decide that again, like time-wise? I time finished wise. it in 2004, so I must have started it in like 2001. I okay, think it, so took that me, would have been... it took me three years because I went slow yeah, and yeah, wanted yeah, yeah. to get... I've always okay. been kind of one to go slow with education and, and get then get stuff out of it versus yeah. just get the degree and... Yeah. So that's actually done. a pretty important point too, right? Because there's, yeah. a, there's, a, there's the psychology of saying, I want to get all my graduate work done mm-hmm. and then I want to start my career or... I want to get going. You know, it's almost the yeah. concept of um, you know work placement. Get in there, apprentice, well, start doing stuff, and then uh, and I know, think use like, that. Like my take on that is HRM would have been very, very hard, very, very difficult straight out of undergrad. Yeah. And I know we talked a lot, and every course I did, I was able to come up with a project that was applicable to to our work together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the time, and I get a publication or a grant or something. Right. Out of most of the most of the courses, so that's actually a pretty and, good. Point and I too. found it really filled like HRM really filled in the in the gaps for me on the language and because sometimes you use all the words like you say intention to treat, but you oh. don't really know what it. And then you don't really know what it means or. And, and, and speak to this, like, like speak to the feeling of being at McMaster again. Remember, mm. like you know, if you look at the historical context of this, yeah. so and we use the word HRM again for not for those Sorry. who aren't familiar. <laughs> no, for those who aren't familiar, HRM was Health Research Methodology, which which was the master's program at McMaster that was targeting basically the development of those clinical research skills. But imagine the time in where 1990, roughly, right, is where I, mm-hmm. you know, as the storyline begins, where you, you hear stories of, you know, Gordon Guyatt and others, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Brian Haynes and yeah. David Sackett, and mm-hmm. the, you know, these amazingly to know them all. In, yeah, them. important individuals in, mm-hmm. in the history of evidence-based medicine, coining the term in 1990, yeah. you know, we getting there, like really five, five years mm-hmm. into it is just, you're, you're just, like, you can see the movement is happening yeah. and you're starting mm-hmm. your master's around the time where things are just humming, right? Like, we're, like McMaster is becoming the epicenter mm-hmm. for this. What was it like learning the new language? But for your perspective, being around individuals, like did you have a sense mm-hmm. of how uh, important that period in time was going to be? Did you have a sense of how important Sprint was going to be? And Sprint, again, was the first large over mm-hmm. 1,000 patient randomized trial. Back then, it was collaborative between Canada, the U.S., and Europe that it really hadn't mm-hmm. been done like that before. Yeah, yeah, it was great to be part of something. I was fortunate enough to be supervised for by Deborah Cook, right, for or my, Deborah Cook. Yes. for my masters, and right. have the opportunity to get to know and work with work with her, which was was wonderful. Right, and yeah, to be part of Sprint was it was it was like a something new something different something that someone hadn't done before right. so I think that's what I, I really liked is that it kept me very interested learning more right. and wanting to do very very well at it so let me ask you this then um, when you think about a checklist mm-hmm. right so we said go back to things that advice you had been given you think about checklist if you're starting in this and you're thinking mm-hmm. like so you're now you're speaking to all the individuals who are either graduate school or they're just finishing mm-hmm. or they're undergrad and they're thinking, you know, I've heard about research. Um, and I, I know people who are doing research coordination or, or, mm-hmm. or research assistant or associate, whatever, you, whatever terms we talk about. Um, 
How do you, like, what is your advice to them to say, you know, these are the reasons you should consider this? Mm -hmm. And also, I'll ask his follow-up question, just keep it in the back of your mind, is how do you know that that first job you're taking is the right one, right? You know, it's kind of like, how do you you mix and match the environment? So Mm -hmm. if you want to be successful, what are the questions you'd ask someone early on to, to understand that they may be able to help you through what you kind of you know experience, mm-hmm. which is the opportunities to grow and yeah. all the things you want. I'm not I'm not saying every I'm not saying your first job should be the perfect yeah. job. I, but I think I was lucky enough yeah. that yeah. my early jobs were the perfect job for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it is just working hard, yeah. continuing to learn and improve yourself. Another course I took in in HRM was by, with Charlie Goldsmith. Charlie, yeah, so so he was he's a, a, he's a prolific yeah. biostatistician and yes. epidemiologist, and, and he taught yeah. me the concept of continuous improvement. Okay, and that continuing your education and that you're never gonna know it all or you're, there's always more more to learn. And I can I still feel like I, I'm at that same stage in in Sprint like 20 years later with these uh, with our aqueous prep and prepare trials. Right. We're doing the first large cluster randomized trials in orthopedics. And you feel so the I'm same still way. Learning same pit in your stomach. Still, yeah, yeah, same yeah. pit in my stomach, same, but yeah. same excitement that I can't wait to, to get up in the morning and, and get on with it. Get on with it. Yeah. And, and, and take, I'm still taking more courses and right. continuing to learn and still learning from my, my mentors from well, let me 20 ask years this, ago. Okay. Let me ask you this then. So mm-hmm. what, what do you perceive are, you know, not everybody... Like I always say, not everyone should do everything, right? right? So who is, like in your mind, the person that should say, you know, these are the general characteristics of an individual that will be highly successful in the research career. You know, and, and, yeah. and, and the research career can be anywhere from starting off as an mm-hmm. assistant, going all the way up to where, you know, um, to running your own uh, research program, which is basically what yeah. you're doing. So you've yeah. seen it all. What, yeah. what are the, what I think are the it's, kind a, of... it's a hard question because I think everyone comes in from a different path right like there isn't like there's different undergrad programs and now there's getting to be more more research coordination programs and associations and such but there isn't really like a job fair at high school saying so there isn't a particular undergrad course you would take or you would there isn't a particular thing a lot of courses touch on yeah and i I don't obviously don't know all the disclaimer of course i think a lot of courses touch on research and a lot of psychology psychology courses does some of the yeah so, but I don't think there's a, to my knowledge, there isn't an undergrad course for becoming, like at the university level, for becoming a, a research okay, well, coordinator. And I think like HRM takes in some research coordinators, but there it's also targeted towards physicians and and right. um, other well, people too. So okay. it's I think it's not a clear, clear path. Well, then are there just personal characteristics mm-hmm. that a person might hold. So one thing that you've said a few times is, you know, work ethic, work ethic, work. And I know you, right? <laughs> you know and, me. You know, and, and we, I think both of us in some degrees probably worked, like we worked well together because mm-hmm. we both knew that the job had to get done. And we had slightly different approaches to the same task, mm-hmm. which meant that we were complementary, not necessarily antagonistic. Right? Mm-hmm. That's pretty, pretty important. But yeah. I get the sense from you, work ethic is a big important. So as someone who yeah. wants to work, but you also you want, mentioned... You have to want to be there, I think. Is... Right. And you also said lifelong learner, right? Mm-hmm. So presumably somebody who always takes education and learning as just a joy rather than a task. Yeah. Is there any other thing that separates people you think are likely going to be or, or coordinators you've met that have been highly successful what are they like everyone has a different like there's yeah. so many different tasks or jobs associated with research coordinators 
because you can be like in the clinic and right. it, yeah, yeah. some people are just wonderful with patients yeah, yeah. and right, right, right. enrolling patients in studies and doing the, right. the follow-up and, and such. Other people design the, design the protocols, the case report forms and do that do right. that piece. And yes. then there's also like the statisticians, the medical writers. So there's, there's I think there's lots of, of different different jobs and I almost think we're at a, a bit of a loss in that we aren't promoting, promoting it young. Okay, we have to do more to promote it young. Yeah, like my daughter likes math. I'm like, oh, you should be a statistician. Right. You know, right, right. like she's and, little, yeah, but yeah. I'm like, that would be a great job for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And we need her. We and we need, need her. you in my office. We need her in her office, absolutely. <laughs> no. Well, good. Yeah, no, no I, I know, I know exactly what you mean. Okay, that's very, very good. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so I've been asking mm-hmm. um, all of our guests mm-hmm. about a couple of things. One is, what are the types of things they do that give them great joy? So, you know, the 2080 rule, which is 20% of the things mm-hmm. we do, gives us 80% of our true joy. And Oftentimes, I try to get you to focus on things that don't directly relate to your day-to-day mm-hmm. job because your job, I'm sure, gives you joy. But you know, we're trying to find the other things. That's one question, and I'll, and the other question is: is what do you do when you get up? So maybe we start this. Okay. What's your morning routine like? Um, what time do you get up? And kind of walk me through the first two hours of wake time. Okay, well, I wake up anywhere between four thirty and six. Oh my gosh! Okay, well, I, very early. I, I yeah, don't get a lot of sleep. Wow, I've okay. always been okay. So let's say you get up on a four thirty a.m. On a four thirty a.m. What I, are you doing? I take my computer and I sneak downstairs to not wake up my children. Yes. I make a tea and I, I get the day going. I start my so are you start like, my emails? So what's, so is the first thing you're doing is you got your tea, you open up your laptop, and you're going to emails, or are you going to any? Are you going to your yeah. handheld? Like what do you like? What is the Usually I skim on the phone so I know what's, Just what's, what's arrived okay. overnight and okay. what's on the How list. How long do you spend on the emails or the or the morning or the morning until the children wake up? Which would be an Seven-ish. hour. Oh, okay. So you get a, so you get quite a bit of work done. Yeah, and if they come down a little earlier, yeah. then they'll sit on my knee or we'll I'll, I'll put the work aside and yeah, 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 see yeah. what they need and. Got it. Okay, yeah. and then you will get them ready, and then presumably you'll get ready yourself. Or yeah, we all kind of get ready. Like yeah. they're 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 eating almost six. Carly will be six on make bed. Right, right. Ready. Okay. So they're pretty yeah. independent, but I I keep an eye on the obviously keep an eye on the routine. Yeah, 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 help yeah. Them and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But. Of course, of course, of course. Okay, got it. And um, on days that things are going well, mm-hmm. how does that two hour session? Like in other words, if you didn't do those two hours. Would that create anxiety for you versus, oh, I can do some other time? Like, in other words, if you didn't know those two hours, what would you do? Yeah, I, and, I, and the reason I, I say this, I do. yeah, because the reason I say this is that mm-hmm. I've been reading and I've been asking, and everyone has their own team. There's no right one, but yeah. there's no right, like, you know, like I do the same thing. I, I, I have a tendency to want to look and, and, and connect with the world quickly. And I'm thinking in hindsight, maybe it's a, the morning should be not about connecting and just connecting with my own thoughts or whatever that may be, right? Sitting up, having your tea Fair with enough. nothing, right? Nothing, Bo, you know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you didn't do it, like, could you do it? Like, I guess the question is... Like, I don't know. I feel like, like I just like it because then I have everything caught up and yeah, yeah, so. then it's like I can kind of relax with the kids. Sometimes yes. I'll take a break and do go to CrossFit after I get the kids to school. Okay, so then you'll do some so other activity So I kind of flex my time in the that. morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it also kind of works well because then I've replied to every, everybody. When everybody else gets to work, they have what they need from me. Yeah. I'm not the rate limiting step or slowing okay, so anyone so down. It's or, efficiency for you. Right? Yeah. Got yeah, and sometimes it. I'll take a few calls in the morning if somebody yeah, needs yeah. something. Okay. Very like cool. it's now, it works for me. Okay, so then what do you do? What do you do to uh, outside of your work life? To any like outside of work life like activities you do like things that, that give you some degree of joy yeah. and satisfaction. I love to travel. Oh yeah, I, right. Okay. So I travel quite a bit. Yep. Uh, we go to the cottage. Yep. We I go to CrossFit. 
I spend a lot of time with the kids because awesome. they're at that. They're at a really fun age right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kids, yeah. And so you get, so you try to do things with them as well. Yeah, right? like yeah. sometimes they're just like the chauffeur, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I know that story. Yeah. <laughs> Planning their little social yes. lives and stuff, which right. is great. And is there anything you want to do in 2019 that is something you haven't done? Is there something on your list to say, this is something... I want to try. I haven't tried. We're, we're doing a family trip to Europe. Oh, so myself awesome. and the girls, yeah. and my two daughters, yeah. and, and my parents. So yeah. that's we're going, going to be awesome. To, to Europe. For and a where week in Europe together. are you guys going? Uh, Copenhagen. Oh, so Denmark, awesome. and then we're going to do a day trip over to Sweden. Awesome, so awesome, that's awesome. Kind of something. Right. So you'll try the saunas. I've tried the saunas. Yeah. Oh, very yeah. good. Very good. Should very be good. fun. That's excellent. It's like a family trip. Anything else you want to add? Um, around any of the stuff we've talked about. Um, I think I've got a pretty good idea. Yeah. Uh, and I we'll have probably lots to talk about. And I'd like to get you back to talk about um, the anatomy of some of the big trials. So mm-hmm. I'd like to have a big session at some point on sprint, you yeah. know, the sprint trial. And the sprint trial is particularly important to understand because the sprint trial, in many, there are many times mm-hmm. that I thought that trial was never going to happen. <laughs> and you thought the same way. And oh, yeah. you know, it gets published. People see the publication and say, wow, this is great. And there's so many amazing people mm-hmm. involved. Exactly. To talk about them and what they meant to that study, mm-hmm. like each and every one of them on the steering committee were critically important. Yeah. And that changed everything for, for all of yeah. us. And well, I think with all of them, we still have, with many of them or all of them, we still have ongoing oh my collaborations. Right, and right, right, right. So if we think about and... people that we definitely have to connect with again, yeah. it's um, Paul Trenetta, Mark Swinkowski, mm-hmm. Emil Shemich, yeah. Dave Sanders, you mm-hmm. know, Stephen Walter, who was the statistician, Gordon Guide, who will absolutely get on yeah. board. Uh, or just to name a few of the really, really um, important and pivotal individuals who helped us in that mm-hmm. trial. I'm going to try to get them all yeah, to join us. Hopefully we can awesome. get them physically here. If not, we'll get them on the podcast. That'd be great. Awesome. Well, thanks thank so much, Sheila. It was great uh, chatting. We'll, I'm sure we'll have lots more to do today, and we'll yeah. get you back on your emails. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for watching Orthopod. Stay tuned for more episodes.